1: Right now on Last Call, the most loved stocks on Wall Street. We have got the exclusive list of names you will not get anywhere else. A rough landing. United Airlines unveiling the cost of its big 737 Max grounding. Get ready. The deep fake election is here. AI robocalls from a fake President Biden hitting New Hampshire and investors are taking notice. Speaking of the election, shares of a Trump-linked SPAC are blasting into the stratosphere. But our investors about to get scorched. Plus, the investigation into the SEC's X-account hack taking an unexpected twist. And Make It Mondays, it's back. And if you thought there wasn't big money in a $20 pack of strawberries, think again. We'll meet the entrepreneur whose specialty fruits are flying off the shelves. All that and more over the hour, so belly up or buckle up, maybe with some strawberries. Last Call is up right now. Good evening here. Good afternoon out west. Happy Monday, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. All that and more coming up over the hour. But first up on Last Call, we have new pictures today of an investor a few minutes after the market closed. I want to be clear viewer discretion is advised. Here they are. <laughs> All right. So that, that was actually Philadelphia Eagles player Jason Kelsey cheering for his brother and the Chiefs last night. But hey, maybe he is an investor. Shirtless and freezing cold, pouring a beer, whatever. In our minds, that's pretty much how a lot of you probably felt inside today. The Dow notching another high, now above 38,000 for the first time. S&P 500 as well. And of course, the NASDAQ went up. Even small caps saw the lights of the Goodyear blimp. They had a good day. In fact, the best day in more than a month. So, listen, this all feels very good. Hopefully a lot of you are making a lot of money. But you also may be wondering, what's next? What do I do now? Well, history says we are likely to keep going up in the near term. Carson Group says, here are the average S&P 500 returns after a new all-time high and more than a year without making one. Well, the S&P's up on hi- Again, historical average, 2.2% after three months. It doubles 4.4% after six months and almost doubles again 9% after a year. Solid gains and, ironically, symmetrical. But hey, that's just history, and history may not always repeat itself. Sometimes it doesn't even rhyme. For more on the Record Day on Wall Street and what is ahead, let's bring in one of our favorite guests, Chief Investment Strategist at Charles Schwab, Lizanne Saunders. Lizanne, I know you love a good piece of history. I like history as well, but... Everything's different all the time. How much do you take that kind of data seriously, if at all?
2: Well, uh, you know, I think in the case of the Dow, I think people are, uh, in general, more familiar with those round numbers, even though, of course, as we all know, the S&P is more widely used benchmark, but I think it works its way through psychological channels. And then in the case of the S&P, or the data that you reported on earlier, you have gone uh, more than two years since the last all-time high in the case of the S&P 500. Now, it's all fine and good to talk about averages in terms of performance, but keep in mind that if you look at times in the past when we've gone at least a year, up to two years between all-time highs, there's not a large sample size, and there's a fairly wide range of outcomes. And you have historically gotten some choppiness in the near term. But if you go out 6 to 12 months, yeah, new highs generally uh, represent a good trend for uh, for the market. So you're
1: kind of saying, if I'm hearing you right, Lizanne, that basically the momentum creates momentum. People tune in to CNBC, they read Schwab, they read your letters, and they go, oh, you know, history says the market goes up. You know, I was kind of stepping aside, or maybe I, I didn't put all my money in. And they do, but if that was always the case forever, stocks would go up every day and forever. And of course, we know they do not.
2: They do not. But but you know, you talked about the the psychological channels through which things like hitting an all time high or a big round number in the case of the Dow. But let's be honest, um, that's what drives markets. It is mostly about. Psychology, you know the, the 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 late great Sir John Templeton quote of you know bull markets are born in despair, grow in pe- skepticism, mature in optimism, and die on euphoria. I think there's not a more brilliant descriptor of a bull market cycle than that. There's not a single term in there that has anything to do with the other stuff we obsess about all the time, whether it's earnings or valuation. It is very sentiment driven. So I think round numbers and new highs, at least for a while, can feed into that uh, momentum trade, but that's sort of as as you know, old as the day is long.
1: It w- it's an amazing quote, and it would seem, just from my little perch here, Lizanne, that maybe we are getting close to euphoria. W- where do you think we are in that? What do we call it? The Templeton you know,
2: slide or something? <laughs> sentiment sentiment has been pretty funky, to use a technical term. Really, in this uh, cycle, um, when you when you think about the, the the worst part of the bear market in two thousand and twenty two. Uh, At the first whoosh down in the summer of 2022, you actually had a record amount of bearishness in attitudinal measures of sentiment like AAII, but at the same time, it wasn't at all matched by behavioral measures, including within AAI. Then you finally saw a year plus, 15 months ago, when we had the, the the nice October low. The washout was both on the attitudinal side and the behavioral side. More recently, it's been a little mixed. You get these whipsaw movements in attitudinal measures of sentiment because that's just survey data. Ask a question on a strong day and. Somebody's going to answer, yeah, market looks great, and ask it on a poor day. And they might say, no, the market looks terrible. So you have to track both the behavioral side of things and the attitudinal side of things. And they just Mm -hmm. have not always been in concert. And that's unique, uh, one of the many unique things about this cycle.
1: I hope stocks still move on earnings and fundamentals. I I don't know if that's true, but I, I hope it is true. If it is true, how have they been? I mean, earnings, we're not that far in, but are you happy with what you have seen?
2: Um, it, it's been, you know, a fairly um, weak quarter. Not so much in terms of things like the the beat rate, but we've had about close to six hundred and fifty basis points of decline in consensus estimates in the three months leading into the start to earnings season. And that's that's a pretty steep adjustment downward, not to mention the fact that all four quarters of this calendar year, 2024, have seen downward adjustments. Now, there's the game that's played to some degree. Analysts ultimately set the bar a bit too low, and you get eventually better than average beat rate. But I think it's the margin story that deserves more attention because last quarter, third quarter, I should say, the the most recent quarter prior to this one that was reported, you had had a lift in profit margins for the S&P 500. And some were hoping that that signaled that the bottom was in for margins, but you've just had a pretty big reversal from 12.2% net profit margin in Q3 to now the estimate is, is only a little more than 10%. So that's a deceleration again in profit margins. And it's just telling you that companies are having a little bit more difficulty in a declining revenue environment because inflation has come down in protecting what have been fairly lofty margins. So those would be the metrics I would focus more on than just the simple things like the beat rate for the prior quarter.
1: Yeah, well, uh, revenue growth is slowing down. Profit margins are coming down. But luckily, stocks keep making record highs, Lizanne. It's it's really amazing. Lizanne Saunders of Charles Schwab, thank you. Hope you heard what she said, folks. Revenue growth is coming down, margins coming down, and stocks just keep going up. All right, let's take a look at what happened inside the market today. Your stud and dud du jour, the big winner, VF Corp, the company behind things like Vans and North Face, they jumped after they have been getting hammered over a month. They could be impacted by shipping delays due to the Red Sea issues. The big decliner, a big story. That is ag company ADM, formerly known as Archer Daniels Midland, collapsing. Investors in ADM losing nearly one quarter of their value today. The CFO placed on leave after an accounting probe. We'll get much more on this disturbing and growing story later on in the hour. But well, we are just getting started here on Last Call. And up next, United Airlines finally says what it's going to cost to ground all those 737 Max jets. But well, we've also got some good news around the airline. Plus, it is only January, but apparently the deep fake election is already here. A story about a robocall urging people not to vote that you have to hear ahead.
3: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. All right, let's get to tomorrow's
1: news tonight. The stories that you and parts of Wall Street will be talking about tomorrow morning. First up, Netflix's film boss Scott Stiber says he is leaving to start his own production company. Stiber Joan Netflix in 2017, was at the helm for major films like Bird Box and Glass Onion. No move in the stock right now. Next up, a blowout for football on TV and NBC. Sunday's playoff game between the Detroit Lions and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers averaging more than 40 million viewers. If that wasn't amazing enough, the game peaked at over $49 million during the final minutes. That is NBC's most-watched divisional playoff game since 1994. The Lions beat the Bucks 31-23. Next up, another weird note in the ongoing German saga over trying to generate enough electricity after the Nord Stream pipeline got blown up. Germany is now agreeing, close to agreeing to build new natural gas plants. They may have to because they shut down all their nuclear plants, wind and solar. It doesn't work all the time. And so Germany has been using coal, yes, coal, to keep the heat and the lights on. In other words, shut down carbon emissions-free nuclear, replace that with coal, and then replace the coal with natural gas. That is the state of German electricity generation in 2024. And finally, new details about the recent SEC hack of X. When hackers prematurely posted that the Bitcoin ETF had been approved, well, the SEC is blaming the attack on what's called a SIM swap, where a hacker got control of the phone number associated with the commission's X account. No word yet on who it was. In the meantime, United Airlines stock surging right now. This after it reported strong earnings. But that, of course, not the entire story around United Airlines right now. So let's get to it all. Phil LeBeau joining us now with that and more. Phil. Uh, big, big stuff today. And you got more coming tomorrow. What is United Airlines expecting going forward now?
4: Uh, well, it's still unknown exactly how much of an impact the Max 9 grounding will have. But that's part of the good news, bad news that I've got for you that United released this afternoon. You want the good news first? Q4, much better than expected. The company earning two dollars a share. The street was expecting a buck sixty nine. Q1, well, this is going to be a wider-than-expected loss of between $0.35 cents and $0.85. Cents. Street was expecting a loss of $0.21 cents a share in terms of going into the earnings report today. Here's the reason why. The MAX 9 grounding, United says they are not expecting this plane back before the end of the month. As a result, that adds three percentage points onto the Q1 cost per available seat mile. In other words, higher costs, exactly what the dollar figure is remains to be seen. Remember, United has 79, 737 MAX 9 planes. They're all grounded, have been grounded for a couple of weeks. That is 8.3% of United's fleet. Here's the troubling storyline, if you will, when it comes to United and the MAX. They've got a lot of them on order. This year, they're expecting to take delivery of 77 MAX airplanes. Next year and beyond, another 277 and 150 of these orders are the 737 MAX 10. That is the extended range, the largest version of the MAX. Guess what? That has not yet gone through certification, and many are wondering if it will be certified by the end of this year, which is, roughly speaking, what most in the industry believe will happen. So when you're looking at United, keep in mind they also have another 150 787 Dreamliners on order from Boeing. Bottom line is this. Scott Kirby and his team have put a lot of investment, if you will, into Boeing into the Max, into the Dreamliner. And at least when it comes to the Max, there are more than a few questions, Brian, about whether or not the delivery cadence, not just for United but for all of their customers, is going to be pushed out because they won't be able to ramp up production as originally yeah. planned this year.
1: I, I don't want to put you on That's, the spot. That
4: is at the heart of the problems that people are looking at.
1: Okay, I don't want to put you on the spot, Phil. So, you know, But, I, but it, not only do you cover airlines, you fly all the time, so you probably just know as a passenger – I am on a flight Sunday this weekend, I should say, out west, and I was on a scheduled to be on a 737-900ER, extended range. Now I notice my plane is no longer, and I'm the guy that looks, I notice the plane is no longer on my app. So they're probably trying to find a jet. Is there anybody talking about or any risk of United at some point just not having enough planes in service
4: to move everybody around, i.e. canceled flights? I don't know if it's that they don't have enough jets. It's that look, you have taken out eight percent of the fleet. You just have it's and that's grounded. a, that's a nothing lot. United can Every do plane about I'm that. on is full. So as a result, sure. As a result, as they are setting up their schedule, and right now they have the max nine off the schedule through the twenty sixth. Does that mean that on the 27th you can count on them having all of these flights? No, nobody knows when the FAA is ultimately going to say, here are the inspections, you're good to go to put them back in the air. It's almost a week-by-week situation. So if you are united, the only good news here is that this is happening during the slowest time of the year in terms of travel. You'd rather have this happening now in the first quarter as opposed to in the summertime at the height of travel when there's more demand than ever. So to answer your question, Brian, yeah, it's not a good problem for United to have, but it's not the end of the world. It's not like they can't you deal with this in some fashion. They would rather have these planes than not have them. But, you know, if you're going to lose these planes, the first quarter is when you want to lose them. Okay, well said. And I know that uh, you
1: could probably find out more tomorrow. Phil O'Beau, thank you very much, because Phil, tomorrow morning, we'll be sitting down with the guy in charge of United. Scott Kirby, it's an exclusive interview, a lot to talk about. Obviously, the Max 9 grounding, what comes next, earnings, capacity, etc. 7.15 Eastern Time tomorrow. Phil and Scott Kirby together, a can't miss. All right, still ahead, President Biden is calling and he's urging you not to vote. Or is he? A scary an amazing story out of New Hampshire. Next.
3: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.
1: time now for your daily RBI, and today it's all about news and how a big group of you, maybe, out there get it. We're talking about Generation Z, those born between 1997 and 2012, so either in middle or high school or just out of college. Our friends at Morning Consult out with a new survey on how this generation gets its news or maybe doesn't get it because it's both eye-opening and not surprising at the same time. 63% of those 13 to 26 get their news from... Wait for it, social media. And in bad news for our business, only 27% watch broadcast news of any kind for their info. By comparison, Morning Consult found that 52% of those who were older did watch TV news. Thank you. And even worse, fewer than one in five Gen Zers read any kind of paper to know what's going on. Two-thirds of Gen Z prefer to watch videos over reading, which may explain the social media dominance. So even when they are looking for content, what are they looking for? Well, Morning Consult said it's not news. Music coming out on top, followed by food, and then TV and film. So what about the topics that are of least interest to those aged 13 to 26? Morning Consult, you're breaking a hot. Business and politics near the bottom, followed only by religion. But listen, we know Gen Z is young, okay? They're young. I don't look at that stuff when I was 13 either. Things change as you get older. Right? Right? Let's hope. Random, but interesting. In the meantime, here's a disturbing story ahead of tomorrow's New Hampshire primary. And it kind of goes to what we just talked about. NBC News obtaining a recording of a phone call that was received by some New Hampshire residents. It sounds exactly like President Biden. And it's urging people not to vote in tomorrow's primary.
5: What a bunch of malarkey. You know the value of voting Democratic when our votes count. It's important that you save your vote for the November election. Voting this Tuesday only enables the Republicans in their quest to elect Donald Trump again. Your vote makes a difference in November, not this Tuesday. If you would like to be removed from future calls, please press 2 now.
1: Now remember, Joe Biden's name will not appear on the ballot tomorrow. He is boycotting the state because the Democratic National Committee tried to force New Hampshire to give up its traditional spot as the first primary state. The state refused because it's New Hampshire. It's what they do. So the president is sitting this one out, though voters can write in Biden's name. However, Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips, who is challenging Biden for the Democratic ticket, is on the ballot, and he has been gaining some momentum. And if Phillips gets a good turnout, it could swing more momentum his way heading into South Carolina. It is not clear who authorized that robocall. It could be seen as hurting Phillips and helping the president. The New Hampshire Attorney General's office is currently investigating. But really, folks, this is just the opening salvo in the wave of maybe political misinformation to come. Let's talk about it now. Eurasia Group founder and president, Ian Bremmer. Ian, this was a good old fashioned robocall. So, this is not some deep fake or AI. First off, what do you make of the call? And then, what does it signal about the vigilance we're all going to need over the next 10 months?
6: Well, number one, the voice is a deep fake. It's not great, but I mean, you know, reception in New Hampshire, maybe it's okay from that perspective. Um, I do think uh, to the extent that it hurts someone, it hurts Biden uh, because the voice is of Biden. It's Biden telling people not to turn out the people that will be most receptive to that. Would be people that would be going in and writing in his name mm. so on balance it probably helps dean phillips and certainly the biden team is quite upset by team locally is very upset about this new hampshire they intend to investigate and want to find out who's behind it uh very hard to imagine that we will uh, get that information unless the folks involved were incredibly sloppy uh, but you know your point both that, uh, that this is uh, not a very exciting technology, robocalls, disinformation is going to be incredibly rife um, in all sorts of manners across this election. And this is a very, very juicy target that is hard to police uh, for U.S. authorities, yeah. for anyone that is trying to sow uh, chaos in the U.S. Let's remember, we're not talking about 160 million votes you're disrupting. We're talking, for example, in 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 Iowa that Trump ran away with, he got 56,000 votes. In the early stages, especially, your ability to cause chaos requires you to disrupt only yeah. relatively small numbers of people. But, but that, And you're exactly
1: right, because here's, I'm going to say something that the math is accurate. People may not like to hear it because every vote does count and everybody should vote for the candidate of their choice. But really only five or six states matter and only about four or five counties in each of those five states matter. Kent County, Kenosha County, Wisconsin, certain, you know, Georgia, et cetera. So all you have to do is impact those people in those counties, Ian, and you can swing states and you can swing elections. And if you just heard my RBI ahead of you, I'm not picking on Gen Z. They're young. I get it. But when we're getting all of our information from social media, that's the easiest to not only manipulate but mass distribute.
6: no question um, and uh, and again uh, you know we're not talking about the ability to defend the Pentagon or or hard critical infrastructure of classified nature we're, we're talking about electoral processes and the information that drives people to turn out and what they believe around that process that is one of the easiest, Uh, places to sow mistrust and chaos, especially in an environment that people already feel that way. I mean, the enemy is us. It's the fact that most of us don't have trust or faith in our institutions that make us particularly vulnerable to this disinformation. The, tech, the technology, unfortunately, is Joe. just making it a lot easier for people, for bad actors to do harm.
1: And I wonder if it's not just, listen, we're talking about politics because the news from New Hampshire, but this could also go to business as well. I, I would imagine. I'm old enough to remember, Ian, years ago, this stock called Emulex collapsed or something because somebody put out a fake fax press release about, okay, that was a fax. I'm just thinking if you re-emulated Jamie Dimon, I'm stepping down from JP Morgan, right? There's things you can do and get, by the time we realize it's fake, millions have already seen it and potentially sold a stock, bought a stock.
6: I mean, GameStop was a small number of mostly well-intentioned idiots on Reddit, right? Um, I mean, imagine that, but with the power of artificial intelligence behind you and a bot army, your ability to cause significant damage is growing. I mean, this this isn't nuclear weapons. This is you know something that is relatively easily distributed uh, in the hands of lots and lots of people, yeah. some of whom are just causing trouble for the lulls, uh, and some of whom are legitimately trying to drive chaos in the US and outside the United States. This, this is a huge problem for an, particularly in an election cycle that at is as combative, as toxic and as mistrusted as U.S. 2024.
1: This is just the beginning and maybe it started with a robo call. Ian Bremmer, thank you. Good to see you, man. All right, on deck, something you do not wanna miss investors out there, the absolutely most loved stocks on Wall Street for the year, exclusive data. You will not get anywhere else and Tim Seymour is here. Stick around. All right, time for something you will only see here on Last Call on CNBC. We are exclusively bringing you the stock that Wall Street loves the most this year. How do we do that? Well, we do that by combing through literally hundreds of females over the last couple of weeks, finding which stocks in each sector analysts are putting on some of their top pick lists for the year. Full disclosure, just because a stock appears on a top pick or best bet type list is no guarantee they're going to do well. This is Wall Street. Nothing is guaranteed. That said... There are more than 100 names that analysts have on some kind of favorites list for the year, most coming from just one or two analysts. We like Kroger and groceries, et cetera. But we wanted to find the stocks that a lot of analysts and banks really like. So we dug through and plucked out stocks that four or more analysts list as some kind of top pick this year. There were 20 names. Out of 4,000 stocks, 20 came up. The 14 names that four or five analysts love Apple, Bank of America, Citigroup, CSX, DR Horton, HowMet Aerospace, whoever that is, new name, congrats to them. Pinterest, also well loved. JP Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, Nike, Salesforce, T-Mobile, Uber, and Win Results. He wrote all those down in that time. Good. Don't worry, we'll post this to social. But now, to stocks loved by six or more analysts or firms this year. You could probably guess many, but there is one big surprise. Here we go. Look at that. DoorDash, six analysts have that as one of their top picks in the space. Remember, it goes by Sector. Microsoft, shocker. Meta, which is by the way, regained all its post-pandemic losses. NVIDIA, another shocker. But look at that. Boeing, coming into the year on six different analysts who really love the stock. Of course, all that before the 737 MAX 9 grounding. And the stock loved by the most analysts <coughs> on Wall Street that we could find this year, by far, 12 analysts. Listing it as a top pick, yeah, Amazon. Okay, probably not a surprise, but this is interesting about it. Amazon was also the most picked top pick last year, and it popped 80%. So Wall Street coming in hot on an already hot stock. We're going to update you through the year on how all these names are doing. More content you only see here on CNBC and Last Call. Thanks to my colleague Michael Bloom. He and I worked together on this for like literally a month. So, Michael, thank you. All right, with us tonight for more on Wall Street's favorite stocks and who he would add to the list is Seymour Asset Management CIO Tim Seymour, obviously a CBC contributor, star... Of
0: fast I, money. No, I don't about that. And and as if you don't have enough to do. I mean, that list is extraordinary. That's fun stuff. And this it, is what I do on literally on Sundays. Like just made an Excel spreadsheet of these names and was like one, two, three. Like I know you're a very active parent as well as a Clearly husband, not. So I, you <laughs> know, um, anyway, that's fascinating stuff. Yeah, and I should
1: thank my family for letting me go to the office at home and just do this kind of stuff. I want to start though with okay Boeing. Okay, everyone loved Boeing. You like Boeing yep. coming into the year. All those top picks were before all this happened. How do we, one downgrade already, how do we read this?
0: Well, if, if you think about analysts compiling these lists, it's also a combination of fundamentals. And, and in some cases, they, they, there's some momentum behind some of these names. And there are certain sectors, and you know this in commodities, you don't buy energy companies uh, when they're cheap. You buy them actually when they have momentum behind them. And you, you mentioned a name like Boeing. Um, I'm long Boeing. And Boeing, before uh, the, the recent disaster, mishap, whatever we're calling it, was a company that by 2025 is going to have uh, probably $12 billion in free cash flow. In other words, this was a free cash flow machine back in 2017, 2018. Um, and, and then as you got into some of the other issues with the, with the MAX, but really it, it was more around covid that, that when Boeing, mm-hmm. excuse me Boeing fell out of bed so uh, I don't think Boeing recovers in terms of the momentum and I think uh, a lot of investors certainly can afford to sit on the sidelines but look the, the reality is in a world with a duopoly and if you look at the max nines and what percentage that is of the fleet for a company that's also half defense um, Boeing's going to get to those free cash flow numbers in my view and I don't want to understate a, and you know the fear factor and all the concerns and the uh, frankly there 's been a, a lot of heartache around this one
1: yeah and it's been tough and obviously <laughs> Listen, I was hoping for some big aha going. It was HowMet Aerospace, which is a yep. related company. Four analysts had as, as a top pick. And I, I, I thought I was hoping for some major aha. It's the usual suspects. Throw it back up there, <laughs> NVIDIA. But to your point, they worked so well last year. Can you blame analysts for not just going back and saying, I'm sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, we also love Amazon this year, too?
0: Well, we we, we love music here. And, mm. and, you know, Stairway to Heaven is the most... Uh, underrated, overrated song. And we'll get to Amazon, but that's Amazon, right? I mean, because it, it is probably one of the Underrated,
1: overrated. I like yeah, that. You, Good times, stairway. bad times? Well, we've there seen you our go. share.
0: Um, but you know, every year on the, the top you know, countdown of rock and roll songs of all time on New Year's Eve, Stairway to Heaven's always number one. And, and people are like, ah, it's Stairway to Heaven. It's Stairway to Heaven. It deserves to be there. But getting back to some of, some of the names here, and if you think about uh, analysts are often, or I'd say fund managers are fired, not necessarily in a down year, but for missing a good year. That's it. And, yeah. and if you think about NVIDIA, it explains to me why a stock who, whose business doubled and market cap tripled in 23 is on there. And by the way... they got to chase it. Well, they've got to chase it. But again, this is a company that could have $25 in earnings by 2025 and might be trading it 20 times. It might be a bargain. So it's not wow. that difficult for an analyst to get out there and say it because they've got momentum behind it.
1: And again, these picks, by the way, folks, it's not like firms come out and say, here's our list of our top one or two do. These are just analysts in their sector saying, in my coverage universe, these are who I like. DoorDash kind of stuck out to me. Six different analysts say, that's my top pick in sort of that software Type delivery space. Well,
0: you're starting to see uh, an inflection in gross margin and you see some of the economies of scale and you get into an argument that it can be made on on a on a P.E. basis and really probably on a on a revenue multiple. And DoorDash yeah. is just that. And, and, you know, a meta is a name that also is kind of safe, because if you look at the peg ratio or the price to earnings growth, I don't want to uh, yeah. you know, put people to sleep here. But the point is, this is a mega cap stock that people have AI exposure to, Uh, they also see the valuation and it actually is very defendable at a time when people. Is there
1: one name that's that Seymour Asset Management, if you had 10, you know, 10 analysts all picking one stock that they would have picked?
0: Well, there's a couple names that, that – and I know you love energy, and I, I think the energy names are, are you know, people – Not love this year, by the way. They made a, Exxon not. and Chevron and Diamondback, made a couple lists. That's it. And, and that's, that's why I think energy is a really attractive place, especially if you look at not only the free cash flow generated here, but, again, an Exxon is going to have debt-to-market cap of 2.5. It was, it was 3.5 to 4 a year ago. Chevron is the best of the bunch. I like PayPal. I like pa- PayPal, PayPal, and this is, again— You right a, from
1: gas to PayPal. Well, because I love it. we're
0: just—we're popping my, around here on lists that didn't make it. And to me, this is, <laughs> again, a mega-cap tech stock that people have forgotten about that I actually think has been basing— it's not about the chart, but that stock has been basing for a long time. I actually think 11 times uh, is way too yeah. cheap for a company that's kind of turned the corner. Well, yeah, we'll
1: leave it there. It's amazing. Anything you buy, anywhere you go on the web, PayPal's an option. I often hit it, but then the stock couldn't get out of its own way. Love the stuff. Boeing, Halmet Aerospace. You're welcome on the show anytime, whoever you are. (laughs) Tim Seymour, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, coming up, the Trump-linked SPAC that is blasting to the moon. Herb Greenberg is here on the strange case of Digital World Acquisition Corporation. All right, welcome back. And here's a pretty crazy story. Shares of a Trump-linked SPAC are soaring. I'm only talking about it because Digital World Acquisition Corp., which is set to merge with Trump's favorite social media platform called True Social, which Trump owns most of, went bonkers today. How do we not cover it? The stock went up 88% today. And this is random but interesting. DWAC has gained so much value over the last week that it's now most more valuable. Then JetBlue Airways. Joining us now on this surge is Herb Greenberg on on the street on Substack. He's also Herb Greenberg just himself and a CNBC contributor. This leave politics of the former guy out of it. But when I see an 88 percent move in a SPAC that's lightly used, you know, how does it not catch your attention?
5: Well, and it's not just uh, today that it's up. I mean, if you look at it over just the past few weeks, the thing has just soared several hundred percent. You know, it's interesting. We, we call this, the symbol is DWAC, which is actually appropriate because, you know, you could look at this and say, it's the whack-a-mole of SPACs, because no matter how many times this thing gets knocked down and whacked down, it keeps springing back to life. And so you have a situation here where you, you know, I don't know what investors, well, I know what investors are thinking, and I understand that narratives drive stocks, And I also understand this is hugely a retail stock, meaning investors are piling in because they think Trump, if he's elected, will have it. Look, we don't know what's going to happen. What we know is this. This is a profitless company. And I'm not talking about the SPAC. I'm talking about Trump Media. It's a company whose auditors have continuously given it a going concern letter saying their doubts whether it can continue as a going concern. And the other thing you have to think about with a SPAC is, look, they hope to raise, say, $300 million. And they may do that. But with SPACs, there's also been a bet some people make in the old days, right before Mania crashed, a lot of companies got no money because the investors voted no, which means they got their money back. In this case, the only thing going for the company is there's so many retail investors that that may not happen. But otherwise, we know where this is going.
1: Yeah, you got be careful out there, folks. All right, our DWAC is not the only name on the move today. Ag and seed company ADM, Archer Daniels Midland, in the news, They placed their CFO on administrative leave because of a probe into the company's accounting. Shares tanked, down more than 20%. We don't know a whole lot about this, Herb, but what's your take? Overreaction here? Stock actually fell 24%. that,
5: That is a remarkable move for a company of this size. And one thing, I read everything I could read that has been published on this today. And there's one data point that wasn't mentioned because this has to do with potential accounting irregularities as it relates to one of the company's subsidiaries, its nutrition segment. And the one thing people haven't mentioned in the stories that I've read, at least, was that the CFO of the company was CFO of that division until 2022. So, you know, obviously there's, and this is a division that's been increasingly struggling because it's based with plant-based foods, and we know what's going on with some of that segment. So this is a heck of a story, and, and for them to put him on leave and to actually guide down suggests there's 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 something here that investors do actually need to pay attention to, at least in the short run. If you lose a quarter of
1: your value in one day on a big company like that, it's not some small cap, crazy stock or a SPAC. It's pretty amazing. Herb Greenberg, always appreciate it. Thank you. All right, let's Good get ride. down to our quicker than the ticker. All the best of the rest of the headlines. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. Thousands of California State University System faculty on strike. It is the largest strike of professors in history. for are demanding higher pay caps on class sizes, expansion of paid parental leave. Among other things, the five day strike will impact more than 400,000 students. Congrats to 20 year old amateur golfer, Nick Dunlap. He just became the first amateur to win a PGA Tour event since 1991. While he got to celebrate the title, he won't be able to take home the one and a half million dollar prize, because he's an amateur. Is 2024 the year of the cicadas? Two groups of cicadas expected to emerge from the ground in the Midwest and Southeast simultaneously this spring. The last time these broods co-emerged, Thomas Jefferson was president. Houses for sale in the Croatian countryside, some as low as 16 cents. Officials in the town of Legrad, Croatia, are using the initiative to attract new residents. Oh, over already. Think about that, that hasn't happened with the cicada since Thomas Jefferson was president. Pretty amazing, cicadas by the way are nasty. All right, coming up, Make It Mondays is back and you won't believe how much money can be made selling really, really good strawberries. The entrepreneur behind the fruit, flying off the shelves, joins us next. Mondays is back, and this one is sweet, literally. Tonight we meet Hiroki Koga. He is the founder and CEO of Oishi, that is a vertical farming brand that makes the so called perfect strawberry with seeds from Japan. Here's how he does it
7: it's the sweetest strawberry, it's the freshest strawberry, it's the cleanest strawberry. I'm Hiroki Koga co-founder and CEO here at Oishi. We grow the world's sweetest strawberries using vertical farming technology. In Japan, strawberries is uh, is called the king of fruits. It is probably one of the sweetest fruits that you can find in the market. But when I came to the US, I realized that there's a big gap between the quality of uh, fresh produce that was available here in the US versus what I was used to eating. But because of this vertical farming technology, we're able to grow Japanese variety strawberries that was only able to be grown in Japan. A lot of people describe our strawberries as almost a little bit buttery. Some are between two to three times more sweetness level compared to what's uh, conventionally grown in the U.S. Once you taste our berries, it's simply a completely different experience. The biggest challenge was that no one has grown strawberries in a vertical farm. So there's really Nowhere to look for information. <laughs> and you have to figure out everything on your own. It takes somewhere between um, six to seven months just to grow the plant itself. Once the flowers come out, we would bring in the bees into the farm. They'll pollinate the flowers for us, and then these flowers will become a berry in about a month. The biggest challenge is how quickly can we expand our production. Everything that's produced in this farm gets sold out instantly. And we know we can probably build a hundred more of these farms, but we really want to transform the way, not only how we make produce sustainably, but also how consumers can enjoy fresh produce. And so our goal is to make that the new standard, just like how you know Tesla has been changing the landscape. We want to be that in agriculture.
1: And joining us now is Hiroki Koga, and he brings gifts. And so this, we love you for bringing the gifts, Hiroki. Welcome. Congratulations. What are we looking at here? And don't say strawberries, because I know that.
7: So here we have two strawberries, both from Japan. One is called the omakase berry. This is what we debuted our uh, product uh, a few years ago. This mm-hmm. is really known for its sweetness. This one is called the koyo berry. It's another Japanese variety, but this has a little more acidity to it. And then this is what we launched last month: our omakase, uh, our uh, ruby tomatoes. So all Japanese varieties, probably sweeter than, much much sweeter. Grown than grow indoor in a
1: vertical in farm. New Jersey. And you said something when it was playing that blew my mind. The secret, well,
7: one of your secrets, is bees. Yes. So traditionally in a vertical farm, people could only grow lettuces or, or leafy greens because it was said to be almost impossible to fr- fly bees which is needed for pollination. Mm -hmm. And so we really took on that challenge uh, from the start and figure out how to make the bees believe they're in nature. And so we have bees flying in our facility, pollinating all these crops, which allows us to now grow these Japanese varieties here on US soil.
1: And you're growing your distribution. You have King's, which is an upscale supermarket chain in the New Jersey region, 99 Ranch, and some others I know more than New Jersey locations. How much scale is there in? In that type
7: of specialty farming, I'm assuming you would like to grow. Sure. So we were actually really surprised by the demand. Right now, everything that we're growing is 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 sold out. And I, I, I've had yeah. the strawberry. They're not the cheapest. They're not the cheapest. But, but your prices—you
1: said the prices are coming down.
7: Yes. Yeah, so we started at fifty, and then we innovated a lot. We went down to twenty. Now we're ten. So at this space, you can see you know where we can get to. Okay. So uh, why a tomato? And am I allowed to eat this? Please.
1: Because New Jersey is famous for our tomatoes. You know yes. that. Like, so we want to that This is challenge. like a thing. Okay, so this is... And what makes this different? So this is a Japanese varietal. It probably
7: contains two to three times more This sweetness. is going all
1: over my shirt. You know it's 100% Please eat it sweet. in
7: one bite because it's going to explode.
1: Oh, oh, is that how you do it? Okay, so I'm backing off the computer because I don't want to... Here we go. Oh, my God, that's amazing.
7: Thank you. It has And I don't even everything. really like
1: tomatoes that much. That. I don't want to say it tastes like
7: candy, but kind of tastes – it's super sweet. Yes, because we perfect the growing environment wow. every single day. And when to I'm optimize for talk. This
2: tomato.
7: <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs>
1: how big can, could theoretically Oishi be?
7: Well, so our goal is not to mm. become a luxury brand, but to make this a new standard of agriculture. If you see how, you know, cars went from – gas to electricity in the past 10, 20 years, yeah. that's exactly what we're going to go through in agriculture. So this will be the new standard. Imagine if this was, you know, $5, $6 per pack. And you're getting there.
1: You're getting there. you are getting there You're getting sure. there. And, that, and that, is, that is amazing. And I, I can tell you, this is not some TV, like, oh, it's really good. But no, th- those are spectacular. Thanks. And uh, really happy for success. Thanks for coming on Make It Monday and CNBC. Thank you so much. Those probably won't make it out of here. I just want to be clear. Oh, good. I have some more. I extra- mean, they'll make it package. out of here, but they're going to be... <laughs> In. interior oh, Hiroki Kota. Thank you very much. Thank you for Keep having me. Keep us informed of how you're doing. All right. For more entrepreneurial Make It Monday stories like Hiroki's, scan that QR code right on your screen. All right, you know what happened 40 years ago today? Apple aired this iconic commercial at the Super Bowl. famous 1984 ad that Ridley Scott directed, inspired, of course, by George Orwell's novel 1984. It's about a dystopian world controlled by Big Brother. It was a veiled jab at IBM's Big Blue. I insert joke about today here. By the way, Apple stock has done pretty well. It's only up 151,000%. Put in 10 grand, you'd have $15 million. You could buy a lot of tomatoes. We'll see on
3: Last Call. Leaders is next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.